Welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we will look back on the pop cultural ephemera that remains in our cultural zeitgeist today and try to understand why we remain enchanted all these years later. This week, we will be revisiting... Wax on, wax on. Wax on, wax on. Wax on, wax on. This podcast is all about waxing nostalgic, and so when it comes to waxing, uh, there is no more appropriate film than this week's subject, The Karate Kid. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this one, but uh, I won't be doing it alone. I've got a special guest with me this week. Uh, he is a filmmaker, and uh, his YouTube channel contains uh, dozens of videos devoted to The Karate Kid, its sequels, its sequel series, Cobra Kai, and all things related to the franchise. I'm really excited to have him here, so a uh, big welcome to Ken Cole. Thank you so much, Doug. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for mentioning everything. Uh, I definitely love The Karate Kid in all of its incarnations. <laughs> well, I, then that leads me to my my first question, which is, you know, why? Uh, what was it about this uh, property that first attracted you? How did you first encounter it? And tell me all about your uh, clearly undying love for it. <laughs> you know, that's a really great question. I think the first time I came across anything Karate Kid related was a friend of mine. I was young. I was probably six or seven years old. And Karate Kid 2 had just come out on VHS. And a friend of mine tried to get me to watch it. And I hadn't seen the first one. And I think I kind of got bored halfway through because I didn't understand what was going on. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen the characters before. And so I kind of stepped away from it. And then I think it was a year or two later, it was on the Disney Channel. And this was Karate Kid 2, the sequel. And I watched it and I loved it. And I ended up just watching and re-watching the Karate Kid 2 many, many times. I probably, you know, I probably saw it at least 15 times before I actually went back and saw Karate Kid 1. And there was just something about that that very much connected with me. And at the time, I don't think I was sure what that was. But I think there are a couple things. One is that, you know, I grew up in a family where my dad wasn't around. And I didn't consciously realize it at the time. But, you know, Daniel also, his dad wasn't around. And, you know, it was just him and his mom. And you had this character of Mr. Miyagi, who is kind of a surrogate father or mentor. And so I think that idea to me was always just very appealing. And so I think looking back on it, I think that's why one of the reasons why I connected with it, with it so much. And the other reason is that my mom's side of the family who I grew up with, you know, I grew up with uh, all the relatives on her side of the family uh, are all Italian. So, you know, Daniel LaRusso is Italian, his mother's Italian. And so it's very, I don't know, very familiar in that regard as well. So I think that as far as personal connection, that's kind of the personal connection. But on top of that, I just think it's a very heartwarming coming of age story. I could definitely relate to uh, the bullies, you know, the feeling of bullies, having to deal with bullies that I think hit home with me. And then kind of overcoming your fears, overcoming all of that it was just a very appealing message. You know, I, I feel kind of the same way. I, I do not have the background 
that you have in terms of your, your personal life. I'm not Italian, uh, and, and I did not have that experience as far as a father figure, but definitely that feeling of being an outsider and, and watching this kid get bullied, you know, no secret that I'm a giant nerd. So, uh, when, you know, and being a nerd growing up in the eighties, uh, you definitely attracted your share of bullies. I never got it nearly as bad as, uh, as poor Daniel gets in, in this movie, but watching him kind of triumph over that was, it's an obvious point to kind of fall in love with the movie. And it took me a while. I mean, it wasn't even until I was much older that I realized that this movie is basically Rocky for kids and more, even more so than I you know, knew at the time, like, oh, this is kind of similar to Rocky, not realizing it's the same director and the same composer and, uh, you know, this, yes. and was developed because they wanted to make a Rocky uh, for kids. But one thing this really has that Rocky doesn't is that aspect of bullying, that Rocky Balboa is down on his luck in some ways, but people aren't giving him shit in his personal life the way that the, the Cobra Kai really goes after Daniel really viciously and personally like Apollo right. Creed does, couldn't care less about Rocky Balboa's, but he just wants to have put on a fight. He's not a villain. Right. And here you have, you know, he, this poor kid being clearly antagonized on a daily basis. And I, I think that makes the movie extremely relatable, especially to kids. Yeah. And I don't know what it is because you look at it now and it looks like, Oh, this is so exaggerated. You know, these are kind of like, over-the-top bullying, you know, th these types of bullies didn't exist in real life. But as a kid, I remember feeling that that's what it felt like. The stakes felt like that, like the stakes of bullying and dealing with bullies. It felt like life or death. And so it's interesting how the movie sort of heightened maybe what most people deal with, but, but it felt very true at the same time. Yeah. I think it's the way that it's sort of incessant, for Daniel, that it's a mm. it's a daily thing that he can't escape from, uh, especially when like the one person he his wants to talk to that he knows in this entire state is the magnet for the bullies. So he he can't get away from them even if he wants to, and it's yeah. it, it just so dominates every moment of his life in a way that even if you're getting bullied, I think it you might get some respite compared to what Daniel gets. But as, even if you don't, it feels that way. I remember um, I, I wasn't bullied quite this way, but my sister was. There was a girl who was really giving her a hard time. And it just, for her, it was just, you know, it felt like her whole world was sort of caving in because this kid was at school. And, we're, and she was at Hebrew school. And she was always there to to give her a hard time until eventually I stepped in and, and kind of was like, well, I'm the big brother. I got to put a stop to this. I didn't beat up this little girl, but I, you know, I right. definitely scared the crap out of her. And the eighties version of bullying in movies can be cartoonish. It can be over the top. This movie kind of, right. it doesn't go over that line. It kind of goes near it, but I don't think it actually goes over it. There's something very genuine about the, the terror that Daniel was in from minute one. Absolutely. And I love your point about it being incessant and that's kind of what we experience, right? Like in school, when we go in every day, whether if you're dealing with bullies, it's a question, am I going to get bullied today? Am I not? Am I going to run into these people? Am I not? So it's like that threat is constantly in your brain. And that's what it feels like. You know, we see Daniel dealing with it incessantly. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Get him, get him, get him. Well, I got, I got to the sleep. Oh, hey, anyway. Where are you? Where are you? Have a nice trip. 
Kill him! 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 And it's much harder when you're a kid as well because, you know, when you're an adult, if someone's giving you crap at work, you can change your job much easier than Daniel can change schools. They're always going right. to be there every day. And he's less, I mean, he's not an adult. He's less capable of, he doesn't have the tools to deal with that threat. Uh, and what's he going to do? Tell on Johnny Lawrence's mom? You know, tell her to interview? <laughs> right. that, that never even comes up in the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a, really an excellent point. You know, you, there's no escape. And that's something I think the movie does really well. I mean, they landed here from, they went from Newark to the Valley. And they're here, you know. Daniel's mom made the decision to make a move. And Daniel's stuck. He can't get out. You know, and so he's going to have to deal with this somehow. And they did a really good job of, you know, how is he going to do this? And then in comes in Mr. Miyagi. Well, they do a good job of really putting him in a box, right? And you, you figure mm-hmm. out how is he going to get out of this box? Uh, and and sort of transitioning over to the, I guess the the character, like individual characters in the movie. Daniel Larusso yeah. is uh, such a wonderful protagonist because he is kind of an every kid, right? He. He does. He's he's got so much go. He's got so many things going against him. He really, you know, he's the new kid in school. He, you know, he doesn't know nearly enough martial arts to do anything. They they make a point that he's had some lessons, so at least he's not a total noob. Um, mm-hmm. But really, he's not that good at it. He knows nobody. He's you know, um, he's just ill-equipped to deal with this move. He doesn't have a father figure, like you said. But he's got this charm and this like kind of innate goodness that just sort of like radiates out of this kid. Like I don't know if that's just because they cast Ralph Macchio and he's he just naturally brings that to the role. But that warmth is so important. Like it's again kind of going another thing from Rocky. Like you've you've written this character in a way that's like you can't help but love this kid. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things I love about Ralph Macchio's performance is he has that heart. He has all of that sincerity that you, you just talked about. But in addition to that, he has, I don't know if you want to call it sort of an East coast edge. Like he does stick up for himself. Like even though he's in these positions, even though he's being bullied, like he really doesn't back down. He has that fighting spirit where he wants to, even if it's going to cause repercussions on him, like he punches Johnny. You know, it's like a lot of kids wouldn't do that. Like he's the one who actually punches them when they get in in the fight in the beach. And I think that's kind of unique, too. It's like this interesting blend of a character. Well, you you really put him his back up against a wall and you watch him. You know, yeah, he he does sometimes punch his way out in a way that lets you know he's brave. But also it's like you can see how desperate he is, which is like, I have no recourse. I have to punch back. I have, you know, there's nothing I can do. These guys just keep coming at me. And all I can do is, you know, stick up for myself. He has enough guts, you know, innately without being taught anything by Mr. Miyagi that like that he needs that as a key ingredient to survive the movie. Yeah, it's a great, amazing performance from Ralph Macchio. Really great. Yeah. And then and then, yeah, Pat Morita. I was thinking about this as I watched it because the, the trope of the mentor figure that's just Joseph Campbell hero's journey. One Oh one, you, you give your Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi to tell him what to do. And so fiction is just littered with 
this archetype, you know, whether it's Mick from Rocky, the obvious analog mm-hmm. Yoda or, or Morpheus or you know, any character you want that's a, a mentor. And I was thinking about this long list of them. And I, th- I think going back to this movie for, you know, I haven't seen it in a while. Going back to it, I realized, man, I think Mr. Miyagi is my favorite. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, because he brings this warmth to the role and not just the warmth, but it's what the lessons he teaches. He's not just teaching him. Here's how you punch. Right. So Morpheus from the Matrix to, you know, he just basically walks up to meet Neo and says, hey, guess what? Now you can jump real high. Right. He, mm-hmm. th- that's what he teaches him is, you know, congratulations. You figured out you're in a video game. Go be a video game character. Mr. Miyagi's teaching Daniel how to be a better person. You know, his yes. lessons are all about dedication and balance and basically saying if if you dedicate yourself to discipline and, and finding balance in your life, the karate stuff will fall into place on its own. And, and he's much more concerned with Daniel's well-being than he is with how good he is at karate. And I think that aspect of the character is what makes him so special is that you, know, you can really see the love he has for this kid. punch better learn balance balance is key balance good karate good everything good balance bad better pack up go home understand yeah i understand can you ever get into fights when you were a kid Uh, plenty yeah but it wasn't like a problem i have right why? Fighting, fighting. Same, same. Yeah, but you knew karate. <laughs> Someone always know more. You mean there were times when you were scared to fight? Ah, always scared. Yeah, you hate the fighting. Yeah, but you like karate. So? So karate's fighting. You train to fight. That hurt you think. No. Then why train? So I won't have to fight. <laughs> Miyagi have a hope for you. What am I gonna learn how to punch? Learn how to punch. Then learn how to keep trying. No! Oh, Daniel, sir, you always to be behind me. Right, and it's. Very different than what we normally find in movies, you know, where you have this mentor that's giving the main character these skills, usually to be able to fight and deal with adversity. But you're right, Mr. Miyagi, his, you know, if you remember that scene in the boat where Daniel's learning how to block and he's saying like, oh, I need to learn how to punch. I need to learn how to fight. And Mr. Miyagi's like, is that what you think? And I'm paraphrasing here. And it's like, why do you train? And then Daniel says, so I don't have to fight. And he's like, yes, that's that's the key, is that you don't want to fight. And he hates fighting. Mr. Miyagi hates fighting. And it's just such an interesting message in a movie. And so many times we see the main character learning how to fight, learning how to win in a fight, that type of thing. But Mr. Miyagi would like you not to fight, would like you to be above the fight. You know, and so I think that's an amazing point that, that you made. Yeah, and I think what's brilliant about that scene is that he doesn't it's not Mr. Miyagi that tells it to Daniel. He lets Daniel come to that realization on his own. And it's all done through 
Pat Morita's uh, sort of broken English, so he's not even able to really fully communi- fully communicate what he's thinking, uh, since Daniel doesn't speak Japanese. But I really love that kind of aspect. It's almost like he's doing it with one hand tied behind his back. Because he can't speak English that well, he has to get these ideas across in a different way or in a more mm-hmm. succinct way. And uh, I know that goes back to the screenwriter who uh, Robert came in, at least in my research, I saw he said he wrote this because, one, he got beat up by bullies. That was his inspiration. And he actually decided to learn karate from someone who didn't speak English at all. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, that's a really great aspect of this. That You know, they're both they're, – they find each other as outsiders and as and people who need each other. But, yeah, watching Mr. Miyagi sort of be the father to this kid that he doesn't have and that he needs – gives the film so much more of a rich texture like because the the karate is almost backgrounded in, in a way like there's not as much karate mm-hmm. in this movie as you think it's way more yeah. about character development right that, you know and it's a really great point and i like what you mentioned about them both being outsiders because you know you can think of daniel as a fish out of water coming from newark he doesn't quite fit into the valley but miyagi also is a fish out of water you know as you mentioned he speaks in broken english Um, And it's like the two of them find each other. And it's the fact that Miyagi is an outsider. He's from somewhere else. It almost lends his knowledge sort of this eternal wisdom beyond Daniel's current problems, beyond their problems in the valley, um, that it's good knowledge that survives eternally. And I don't know, it's kind of that interesting element where the mentor isn't like of the area either. It's like they're both trying to sort of figure out the rules of, you know, living in the valley. But Miyagi has something better than those rules, his eternal wisdom. You know, I, I kind of I love that part of the story that, you know, they're both together, fish out of water and together they they're able to just achieve great things. And I think that contrasts so well with Kreese, right, because we have that wonderful mm-hmm. scene where, you know, after Miyagi rescues Daniel from getting bullied on Halloween, uh, by the guys from the uh, David S. Pumpkins sketch, um, <laughs> he, um, the they he he decides okay I before I even teach you to learn karate I'm gonna accompany you to the dojo to confront the guy teaching the Cobra Kai, which is an interesting thing in terms of plot structure. I think that like he's he's gonna he's gonna actually go there and talk to this guy as his ambassador. Uh, before he ever teaches him anything, uh, I find that a very interesting part of it. But also when you get there and you see him, what, what Miyagi says is so astute. He says, you know, there is no such thing as a bad student. There's only a bad teacher. The teacher tells the student what to do and they do it. Uh, you a friend of all karate student, eh? Friend? Oh, yeah. Those guys. Problem attitude. No, problem is I'm getting my ass kicked every other day. That's the problem. Because boys have bad attitude. Karate for defense only. That's not what these guys are taught, man. I can see. No such thing, uh, bad student, only bad teacher. And that through line really comes through with Johnny's performance because I think you. He is such an 80s bully, but by the end of it, you see that him, he, that's exactly like Miyagi hit the nail on the head. They are all essentially just pawns of this dude who is filling their heads and like radicalizing them. 
I, I, I just think that adds such a great layer to everything that Miyagi's doing as a contrast to everything that Kreese and the Cobra Kai are doing. Right. Yeah. Kreese is definitely drilling everything into their brains and right. He's making them sort of extensions of himself. Whereas Miyagi wants Daniel to grow up to be Daniel, you know, and not him. He's not creating a proto, you know, a new Miyagi. He's cre- he wants Daniel to be the best person he could be. And yeah, man, Martin Cove is Kreese. What a wonderful, what a wonderful performance. And it's such a great performance because in that first movie, Kreese doesn't get that much screen time. He's actually not on screen from, from very long at all, but it's Martin Cove's presence in that role that really kind of overshadows everything. You know, it gives that sense of, of weight, if you want to call it evil to the idea of Cobra Kai, you know? Um, and yeah, that, that scene, that's such an amazing scene where you get to see Miyagi deal with John Kreese. And John Kreese is just itching for a fight, and Miyagi doesn't want to fight. And it's just so interesting watching this. It's almost like a dance, you know, on, on how is this going to end? You know, is it going to be possible to get out of here without fighting? How can Miyagi do this? But you look at Pat Morita's performance, and you know just that that character Miyagi has seen this so many times. Uh, and he knows how to deal with it, and and he does. I hear you jumped some of my students last night. Afraid the facts mixed up. You calling Mr. Lawrence a liar? No call no one, nothing. What are you here for, old man? Come ask, leave boy alone. What's the matter? The boy can't take care of his own problems? One to one problem, yes. Five to one problem, too much ask anyone. Is that what's bothering you? The odds. Well, we can fix that. You like matching, Mr. Lawrence? Yes, Sensei! Uh, no more fighting. This is a karate dojo, not a knitting class. You don't come in my dojo and drop a challenge and leave, old man. Now, you get your boy on the matter, you and I will have a major problem. Too much advantage. Your dojo. Name a place. Tournament. <laughs> You've got real nerve, old man. Real nerve. But I think we can accommodate you. Can't we, Mr. Lawrence? Yes, Sensei. Fall in. Ask one more small request. Make it fast. Ask leave boy alone to train. (laughs) You're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? But I like that. I like that. All right. No one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Is that understood? Yes, Sensei! But you don't show. And it's open season. Hunt him. And you. And of course that gets into everything having to do with like PTSD and their shared war experience. Miyagi being in the world war two medal of honor winner, John Kreese being, you know, as you know, we learned a prisoner of war, uh, fighting in the Vietnam war, you know, two different wars in our past that, you know, society felt much, you know, very differently about veterans who came back from world war two than they felt about Vietnam veterans. And that's, it's just a very interesting subtext. And I like that, you know, again, sort of going back to their philosophies, you've got him drilling into the Cobra Kai with no mercy. 
right? That is their yes. mantra. Uh, you know, this extremely aggressive thing versus Miyagi saying, you know, yeah, the goal is not to fight. It's, you know, the right, exact right. opposite. And uh, you watch that play out kind of over the course of the movie. And I really like, uh, you know, when, again, when you see Kreese at the end, when he's commanding them, you know, do this illegal thing and break his knee. And the student says no, but he can't help but do it. He's still, you know, he's afraid of the bully. He's going to do what he's told. Um, yes. You know, when you watch that kind of stuff, it's just sort of like you see this like cycle of violence uh, that Miyagi's all about breaking it. Everything you see him teach Danielson is, is uh, it's like almost entirely defensive. Right. All the wax yeah, on, yeah. all the paint the fence stuff, everything, it's a block. Everything is a block. Really just a, a profound difference in philosophies. Yeah, really, and wonderful, and just a wonderful way to see that difference in philosophies. And, you know, you mentioned all these other movies. Karate Kid is special, I think, in that it uses martial arts, something that exists in the real world. You know, we don't have superpowers, but it's how can you use it and how can you misuse it? And that's how the conflict happens, you know, and people on both sides might feel like they have full justification for doing it the way they want to do it. But it's very clear in the Karate Kid that there is a way to properly use the martial arts and a way to misuse it. And uh, it's just beautiful at kind of painting that that picture. Yeah, I mean, you look at the deal that's struck at that meeting, right? The whole point of the deal is to say, you know, we'll we'll fight you in a fair fight. But in the meantime, you'll at least he buys Daniel six weeks or so of not getting his ass kicked so he can train. He the Kreese is willing to make that deal. But the 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 flip side is he says if if Daniel loses, uh, we'll come after him and we'll come after you whenever we want with no mercy. And that's uh, I believe the word for that is assault. That's the crime that he right. is threatening him with. And it's just like you can see that like that the fact that it would be illegal to just literally just beat people up for no reason does not cross Kreese's mind at all. Right. And it's that scary element I think we run into in our lives. You know, it's if we're scared of bullies or we're scared of threats, it's because there are people out there that don't care about the law. They just want to do what they want to do. And if that means they need to attack you or assault you or if that's just what they desire to do they're going to do it. And, you know, that brings up this whole concept of studying karate and the martial arts and why people study it. It's to defend yourself from those types of people in those types of situations. And I think that's a big reason why enrollment in karate went way up after this movie came out was because people saw, oh yes, there, there are bullies, not just kids, but adults that think it's okay to assault people if they feel like it. And so I need to learn how to defend myself. And, uh, you know, it's it and karate enrollment exploded after this movie. I enrolled in it. Um, I, I remember being yes. six, uh, enrolling in it. I remember my teacher trying to use catchphrases from the movie, uh, to, to, uh, get me to learn stuff. I, I fought all my way to a, to a yellow belt before I gave up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it was not for me, but I, you know, you're absolutely right. Like it, 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 that appeal to kids, like you wanted to be, it's the same appeal that something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has to a certain degree, which is like, I want to learn how to fight. But, mm -hmm. but the movie is so much about more than that. Um, you mentioned this whole like concept of like, well, you're going to run into people 
that are going to mistreat you and you got to be ready for it. The movie grapples with kind of that question of like, well, is it better to just keep your head down and avoid these people or do you stick up for yourself? And that, that kind of comes in the form of Elizabeth shoes character, because if Daniel wants to have any chance with her and she clearly likes him, he's going to have to, this is the price he has to pay is the the constant attention from Johnny. And and so he has to grapple with it. Like I could I could just not I could just walk away from Elizabeth Shue anytime I want and just avoid the problem. But he doesn't, right? He he has that like we talked about before that brave streak. Um, but her character yeah. I think is really important to being kind of the linchpin of of all of that conflict. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And of course, you, you've probably seen that there's that video out there that Daniel's the real bully. You know, where yeah, what a bunch of horseshit. Can, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really fun video. Good, good job. I I like how they kind of reverse that. But but yeah, you you get to see Daniel, and maybe he's being brave, but obviously he's uh, he's thinking he can score some hero points here, and uh, you know, in her eyes, and you know, maybe uh, move in and impress her, and so he moves in and. He doesn't know who he's going against. Uh, and, you know, maybe he's a little overconfident, you know, because he's had those few lessons before. Um, but then, of course, we we see what happens on the beach where he just gets, you know, knocked to the ground by Johnny. And, um, yeah, you're right. Elizabeth Shue, amazing character. She played uh, the character of Ali so, so sincerely. And I think just very appealing, kind of like, as, as a boy growing up, probably like this ideal prospective girlfriend that you would want to go, you know, protect or impress. And, uh, you know, she did it so effortlessly. Definitely. And she's not the damsel either, which I like that, you know, she isn't, mm-hmm. um, she isn't just, Hey, we need a girl character. So let's get someone in here with two X chromosomes to stand in front of the camera. You know, they, they did a really good job of making her, she has her own kind of brave streak. She certainly stands up to Johnny. She's, you know, we see that she genuinely likes Daniel pretty much from the beginning for who he is and is genuinely really, you know, interested in him. Uh, and it's, it, you know, he, it kind of makes that pain so much worse for him to get beaten up all the time because she's this like fo- gravitational force that keeps pulling him towards her and then by extension, him. Come to the right place, stranger. Yeah, I never danced in a shower before. Hey, a friend of mine made this for me. Isn't it great? So, uh, where have you been hiding? Well, I haven't been hiding. No, I haven't seen you around. Have you been looking? Sorta. Sorta. Well, I thought maybe you were still angry with me. Why? Well, because of what I said last time I saw you. Oh, no, I've been thinking a lot about that. No, I know, but I should really just learn to mind my own business. No, I think you're right about facing things head on. I mean, I feel the same way. Just kind of forgot for a while. Thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. (laughs) It's just that he thinks he can do whatever he wants to people. Who? Johnny. I'd love to see him get a dose of his own medicine. Well, you know, what goes around comes around. Mm, I'd love to be there when it does. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I really like just sort of the, but their dynamic is so genuine that it's like, yeah, I'd get my ass kicked to hang out with her too. You know, she's worth it. And she stands up to Johnny. She stands up to 
to Daniel when she thinks he's you know kind of being an idiot. I the only thing I do think is sometimes I think she she needs to recognize what he's going through a little bit. She she sometimes she forgets. It's like oh right, he gets his ass kicked all the time just for being around me. I should be, no wonder he's <laughs> being a little uh, uneager to, to hang out today. Right, right, and. You know, you mentioned just all those great qualities about Allie. Another interesting quality is that, you know, she's rich and Daniel isn't rich. And that's such an interesting component because Daniel has a low self-image, I think, when, you know, he goes up to her house and she see, he sees how uh, rich she is and how much money he doesn't have. And that must mean he's inadequate. And, you know, that's, you know, I think one of the, interesting conflicts and hurdles that Daniel has to get over. Uh, and she helps him get over that and grow as a person, you know, that, uh, it's not about how much money you have, uh, you know, it's about who you are and that she's able to see past anything and see who he is and likes him for who he is. Yeah. And she does and, that right uh, from the jump. Like she really yes. just this from the second he steps in to try and be chivalrous. She recognizes like, this is a decent person. I want to spend more time with this decent kid who's caring and is non-threatening, um, you know that, that that quality in her like it makes her so much more interesting uh, than having her just be like this hot chick who he's just trying to impress. Yeah, he's trying to impress her, but she's already figured it out from the beginning. She figures out he's an okay person, um, and you right. want to watch their relationship grow. She wants to have a relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with her, and the only thing stopping them is her ex. You know, won't leave him alone. Uh, and also he has a gang. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. He does. Yeah. And, uh, and she puts up with him, even though he gets a little hot headed too. I mean, he gets a little hot headed with her and she still, you know, forgives him and takes him back. Um, you know, she really cares about him. So, you know, I think, I think you're right. Just a really great character, sort of a, a dream girlfriend type of character. And, um, yeah, unfortunately she does have that gang attached to her. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, everybody's got something that they carry with them, I guess. <laughs> but sometimes it's like five dudes. <laughs> we'll just jump so, yeah, you. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just, in yeah, revisiting, it's been a long time since I watched this one. Uh, it's been, I don't know why, uh, this particular movie I hadn't revisited in a while. It was almost like watching it for the first time, my memories were kind of, I had some pretty strong memories of the, the, the wax on wax on stuff. Cause that was, that became just, you know, a piece of pop culture, you know, just touchstone. Uh, and I had pretty strong memories of watching the, the tournament at the end a bunch of times, but yes. all this stuff in between, all this character stuff in between, um, you know, I, I had kind of forgotten about, and it was just such a pleasure to kind of watch this movie unfold and go like, Oh, good. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not a bunch of just martial arts showcase stuff. It's it. They really spend the time on developing those characters and their relationships, so that when you do eventually get to kind of the heavier parts of the movie, you're you're really invested. Um, certainly with Miyagi, I think that to kind of bring it back to him, like that, he is such the the focal point of the movie in a lot of ways. I mean, yes, we're following Daniel, but like the movie kind of like gets, you know, just infinitely better. The second he's on screen. Yeah. It really puts everything into focus. And Pat Morita is such a calming presence and he has that life in his eyes, that glint 
of humor and fun and peace. And even if he's facing adversity, he knows he's got that peace within him and he's always willing to turn things funny or make things into a joke, even if Daniel doesn't think it's funny. And it's just that reassuring quality that everything's going to be okay. And uh, yeah, he's just amazing. One of the best movie characters of all time, I think, uh, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, I think so. And also that, you know, looking at him as a surrogate parent, you can contrast him with Daniel's mom. And so Daniel's mom, you know, she's not stupid. She susses out that Daniel's getting beat up, especially when she finally, you know, just nags him until he takes off the sunglasses and she can see the black eye. And then he starts lying about what caused the black eye. But mom doesn't start talking about, well, maybe we'll take you out of this school and put you in a different school. Maybe we'll do. She doesn't talk about solutions to the problem very much. She kind of tends to just take whatever Daniel says about what's going on at face value. Miyagi is the opposite, right? He won't say that he knows what's going on, but you can tell he does, right? He sees mm-hmm. through every piece of bullshit that Daniel throws at him and uses that to kind of cajole him into going further with his training. He's kind of constantly like, I love how in, insightful he is in those moments. Yeah. It's now that you bring it up, it's really interesting, isn't it? How Daniel's mom you know, if you look closely, she's, I love the character. Uh, Randy Heller does an amazing job playing Lucille um, and reminds me of so many people I've known in my only, in my own family and life uh, as well. But she has just a very magical way of thinking, I guess, you know, she wants what she wants. And if you look really closely, she moved out there to join some kind of computer job company, you know, rocket computers, uh, that type of thing. But it's subtle and there is a cut scene, but she actually pretty quickly is working at a restaurant. You know, when she and Daniel are eating at the restaurant, she's talking about being trained as a manager at the restaurant. So she moved all the way across country to work at a company that didn't work out pretty quickly. Now she's working at a restaurant. And I think she's so focused on that and she wants to view the world with rose colored lenses, you know, and she doesn't want to see the problems that Daniel's going through. And that's tough for him. Uh, but it's wonderful that you're right. Mr. Miyagi, this new mentor friend is so insightful. Maybe he's been there before. He understands what Daniel's going through and he's able to see through all the layers. He knows what all the problems are. And he's very familiar with this side of humanity And yeah, in those types of ways, you know, he's able to help Daniel in ways that his mom just probably can't. Yeah, I think the uh, the oblivious parent trope is a really like effective and strong one in storytelling, certainly from this era. um, I I can think of like, you know, for example, I mean, in a more fantastical way, think of it right where you have this group of kids Mm -hmm. that is being murdered by a, a demonic clown from outer space, basically. Uh, <laughs> and But the whole point is, is largely that, you know, for all the terrible things that are happening in, the, happening in the town, the parents are supernaturally oblivious. They have no concept that anything's happening. Um, there, there are so many movies where that's a big focal point, right? Where the kids have to solve the problem because the parents are so quick to just sweep things under the rug or not care, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
you know, another right. similar idea. Um, but here, I mean, yes, this is not a, uh, you know, a fantastical movie, but as a kid, you know, that sense that like my parents aren't listening to me, they don't see what I see and they discount everything I say because, well, I'm just a kid. He doesn't know. Um, watching Daniel's mom go through that, right. Where she's, this is California. It's paradise. And he's like, I'm miserable. Do you not mm-hmm. see that? I am, I am miserable every stinking day. And, and her failure to see all that, um, again, it just it, in ways that you want to like relate to Daniel, like it's like an instant connection you have with him. I think as a kid growing up that, I mean, we've all felt that way at some point. Yeah, you're right. And I think it lends this other layer of relate relatability, um, and why kids just flocked to this movie and, and loved it. I think you're right. Kids feel that way about their parents a lot of the time. And, and that again, why Mr. Miyagi is so great is that, you know, he listens, he, he sees all of the, even when Daniel's not directly telling him anything, Miyagi picks up on everything. Uh, and I love how that's kind of folded into, we don't get a whole lot of his backstory, certainly not in this movie. I know they go into it a little more in, in two, but you only really get the one scene of him getting drunk and you real you kind of figure out between the lines that his wife uh, uh, died in childbirth and they were interned in internment camps during World War II. Mm-hmm. All of those little details are, I think, really integral to his character. And to the movie's credit, they wait to dole that stuff out until very close to the end. Teresa. Huh? Look, look. Fast American born Miyagi waiting to be born. Hey, hey, drink, drink. Sergeant Miyagi? Yes, sir. Sergeant Miyagi report to kill many Jerry Germans, sir. Yes, Regret to inform wife, son, complication of birth, sir. Complication birth. No doctor can. Under free, almost free. No doctor can. And you finally understand, like, oh, no wonder he sees so much in Daniel. This is the kid he never had. This is, and I love that detail that somehow his family and maybe him were in an internment camp, but he also went off to fight in World War II. I am not enough of a scholar about the the Japanese internment camps to know how realistic that would be that they would allow someone who is in theory, being in prison for being a threat to America to then hand him a gun and say, go fight. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it almost makes him like the X-Men, right? He fights for a world that, that hates and fears him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I know that there are many courageous Japanese American men who fought in world war two. I think the four forty second that he belonged to, uh, you know, was that division again, I'm not an expert, but, I know it just it adds this layer of tragedy to his character that he would be going off and fighting for a country that would uh, in turn his wife, his pregnant wife, and that who knows what the quality of the healthcare was at that camp, 
that allowed them both to die, you know, and it's just so you feel so sad for him that he went through that, but it almost shows his level of loyalty, you know, to, to his country, to duty that he would continue to fight and actually fight so honorably that he would earn a medal of honor. And, you know, it's, it's just such a fascinating, just that one scene puts such a fascinating light on that character. And yeah, I think it's a big reason why it, he could be the best mentor character in movie history. He's, he's up there at least. Well, he's, and he's very, he's obviously very proud of his time and his service because he, he still has, he's where he literally puts on the uniform to get drunk for seemingly nobody. He doesn't know Daniel's going to walk into his house. So, you know, he's, he's just doing that on his own um, to relive that time in his life. But he, you see him, he pours the glass for his wife, um, yes. his deceased wife. I mean, he, the level of kind of care that he shows for others, again, dovetails with his whole philosophy and his teaching source, Daniel, which is like you, you have to do what's right. You have to protect other people. You have to use these skills I'm teaching you for good. And you you just can't help but love the guy, especially when you realize you know how alone he's been for so long. He's had not much else to do other than it seems like fix plumbing and collect cars. Right. And, you know, you get the sense that a lot of people in life probably overlooked him, you know, uh, didn't think twice. He's just a maintenance man. And, you know, he doesn't speak English as well as I do. And they they almost probably think there's nothing to him. But but Daniel doesn't care. And it, it's like, are you able to see it's like a character quality of Daniel? He's able to see what's special about Mr. Miyagi that so many other people probably overlook and look who he is it's like this master this karate master with with a lifetime of wisdom and experience right there under his nose that so many people probably just overlooked and he's the one guy who's willing to step in to defend daniel when i mean that great like i said that scene where he uh, on halloween goes to his rescue and beats all five of these dudes it's the it's the only time you see him actually really use karate against another person, and it's he you let they let you know like he he is old he is you know he's not in the best shape he's able to pull this off, but they still you you understand that the, that was that took a lot out of him, and you know he's he was risking a lot for this kid he barely knows, uh, you know that uh, speaking to his again the 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 quality of his character. It, I, again, you can't help but love the guy. And it, it, there's a reason Pat Morita got nominated for an Oscar for this. Yeah, he. It, it, it's such an amazing moment, too. And we're so used to it now. But that moment where he jumps in and defends Daniel, what an amazing moment. Uh, and I know everyone watching it would go, oh, would be on their feet cheering that. Because so amazing to see this maintenance man just absolutely turn into a lethal weapon and just like down the bullies who've had it coming for so long and it felt like no one could stop them but here comes mr miyagi basically flying over a fence and he just like puts him on the ground immediately and then takes daniel away it's uh it's a it's an amazing scene and i think you're right it's like it builds so deliberately the characters and the situation and the incessant bullying that when you get to that moment, it just, it's such a payoff when you see Mr. Miyagi finally put down the bullies. Well, it's a great catharsis. And it, and it follows that uh, moment where 
he goes to the Halloween dance, and Mr. Miyagi, we find out, made the costume for Daniel, which is this ridiculous shower uh, thing that he can (laughs) hide behind because he says he wants to be invisible. And it kind of goes, again, with this, like, defensive idea, right? I I don't want to fight. I'm going to be invisible. No one will know I'm here. The bullies won't know it's me behind this shower curtain. So even before the fight, he's acting towards Daniel's defense to give him this shield, such as it is. It just shows how, that again, that level of care towards him. Uh, We haven't really talked about Johnny that much, though, and I want to spend some time on him because what a a great (laughs) villain. Like, he is a D-bag, but... I really like how they kind of work his psychology throughout the movie, the, the way he's you know, mm-hmm. possessive. And, but also, you know, again, as we see at the end, he's kind of a victim too. I really like that angle on the, that character. Yeah. And William Zabka, the casting was just amazing with that character because he's this basically, you know, tall blonde. He's the type of guy who would be so popular in school, you know, untouchable, you know, the guy that you wouldn't want to mess with. And then on top of that, he's he knows karate and he's dangerous and he's got his gang of followers as well. And he has that kind of aura of invincibility. Like you just can't touch him like you and I probably know the rules. Everyone knows the rules, you know, in school or whatever. And there there are certain people that just seem kind of maybe untouchable, like you don't mess with them. And he seems like one of those characters. And it's just interesting that Daniel's a character messes with him. Like, you know, he avoids him, but then, you know, as we saw in that scene with the shower, you know, he decides to go and basically play a prank on him and he could have let well enough alone, but he didn't. And, uh, he played a prank on him and attacked him and really incited him. But yeah, it's really, you know, you talk about the Johnny, the psychology of Johnny and, you know, we don't get his backstory really, you know, until the Cobra Kai series, you know, in that movie, we don't know much about his background other than he's got a lot of money and he's popular and he's this championship fighter. And, you know, why does he do what he does? And I, I guess it's all about a girl. And that seems to make sense to us in our lives. Like, Hey, if you, you know, take the girl away from the most popular guy in school. Like you, you just don't do that. And Daniel did that, you know? So it's almost kind of like a wish fulfillment for the audience too. It's like Daniel's already doing things that we wish we could do. And then I guess you see what happens, the consequences. Well, also a guy like that who goes through life being untouchable and believing they, they believe that myth about themselves. So anything that punctures that myth, uh, I've heard, you know, when you meet someone who is, uh, you know, a true, like, diagnosable narcissist, the best thing you can do to get at them is laugh at them because, you know, they, they their psychological defenses can't handle that, right? They, they have to be the protagonist of planet Earth and therefore, you know, mm-hmm. anything that gets in the way of that, you know, must be crushed. And Daniel, very, you know, uh, expertly, like you said, he plays that prank on him because he is, he knows deep down, like, this guy's not untouchable. He's just another flesh and blood person. And, you know, he should be subject to the same rules the rest of us are. And he shouldn't be treating people this way. So his, like, desire to take him down a peg, like you said, it's this, like, it feels like this unbelievable quest that he's on to do this to us who would shy behind those rules and go like, I'll just leave him alone. Right. 
you know, for him to do that, it's, it seems unbelievably heroic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it just makes us uh, root for him. It, it makes us root for Daniel. And, you know, I, I guess we root against Johnny because we all know a Johnny, no one likes people like Johnny, you know? And, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think how the Cobra Kai series is kind of like, what, well, what's it like from Johnny's perspective and was, you know, are things tough for him or does he think he's doing the right thing? And, you know, those, I think those are all good and valid questions. And as you say, at the end, we get to see the other side of Johnny, you know, we get to see a little bit like why he is the way he is. And he congratulates Daniel LaRusso. Time out. Time out. What are your sensei? Turn. Neil. It's Johnny, you're a Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No sensei. No mercy. You know, and so he's not that bad after all. Well, the movie kind of does a little bit of the the Rocky thing where there's a discussion of like, you don't have to win. If you go the distance, you prove the point, you know, you win because you prove the point that you wouldn't back down. And then the movie gives us the catharsis that he does actually win. Um, They they let you have it and they don't make you wait for uh, Karate Kid 2 for it to happen uh, like they do with Rocky. Um but that is an intrinsic, intrinsically rocky thing that he loses that fight. That's what I think is the key to that movie is the point is that he loses it. But yeah, yeah. here, you know, the, there's a nice kind of point that like Miyagi again was right in sussing out what was going on psychologically that when he beats uh, Johnny, he earns his respect, especially because Johnny knows he was fighting dirty and Daniel wasn't, you know, because his evil sensei was telling him to do it. Uh, you know, he you you do end up rooting for him a little bit in the end because when you see someone who is like evil, but maybe because someone is pushing them in that direction, it's like, oh, we no, we 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 were rooting for you. We want you to go in the other direction. We want you to recognize you're doing something wrong. Turn around and be redeemed. Yes, yeah, that's that's a really great point, and you can see it happen with like all the cobras, Bobby. You know, Bobby is another interesting character who's a friend of Johnny. You know, he's the guy who does the illegal kick to the knee that gets him disqualified and he doesn't want to be disqualified. And, you know, I've made some videos about Bobby and, you know, you can really make the case that that could have been Bobby's year to win everything. But the teacher, Crease, didn't want that. He wanted to use Bobby to get Daniel out of commission. Bobby, what am out of commission? But Sensei, I can beat this guy. I don't want him beaten. But I'll be disqualified. Out of commission. Let's go, fellas. Come on. Control, gentlemen. See? Hey! Knock it out, Daniel! Oh! Daniel, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! I didn't mean it! I didn't mean it! I'm sorry! 
And you can see, if you look at Bobby and you watch him through that end fighting sequence, you know, the you're the best around uh, montage, you know, you can see that Bobby is constantly looking back to Crease for approval. Like all he wants to do is impress Crease and make Crease proud of him. And you can see how Crease is using this to manipulate these characters. And so you're right. I think at that moment where Crease betrays Bobby, uh, we really root for the Cobras. We're like, oh, these guys aren't all bad. You know, hopefully they can not do this uh, anymore. They can break free of Crease's influence. And, you know, we, we hope for that with Johnny and he, unfortunately Johnny does kind of let Daniel have it. But at the end he realizes, you know, what he did was wrong. And then at the beginning of the second movie, we see that Johnny stands up to crease. Right. You mentioned you're the best around, uh, which is, I think way up there in terms of, uh, uh, montage songs, Uh, another Rocky connection, because that song was in, in the running to be used in Rocky three. Although Stallone went with eye of the tiger, which hard to argue with that choice. Eye of the tiger is pretty awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. do you have a a favorite montage song? (laughs) Like of all time? I don't know. I mean, like even like South Park, like parodied that pretty well. They have like a, I think it's literally called the montage song or something. Yes, there's that. And then, you know, for some reason, I always keep going back to, uh, the South Park team, uh, did team America world police and they actually have a montage song, uh, which which is pretty funny. And it's the same song. They, they actually used it in that movie. And then then they, I forget which, where it came, whether it was first used on South Park or in the movie, but it's the exact same song. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. I love that song. That's great. Yeah. You're the best around is an amazing montage song. I love the Rocky montage. That's wonderful. But I don't know. There's something about that song. You're the best around that just it gets you excited. It just has that sort of like youthful energy to it. And yeah, it's it's probably one of the top montages in movie history, I think, in The Karate Kid. Yeah, it's one of those songs that like it's definitely an artifact of its time. You wouldn't do this now because it's it's not just the opposite of subtle. It's like into the negative of like how unsubtle it is but that kind of makes it awesome uh because it's so literal uh about what it's singing about but it it is really great and like you said it's this thumping just anthem anthemic thing that you watch daniel go through the tournament and kind of work his way up the you know the mortal Kombat roster of dudes to get to to johnny i I love it so much uh when you when you're done with this go take a listen to uh, tenacious d's to be the best if you haven't heard okay, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Absolutely. It's like yes. 50 seconds long of like, you know, you can tell they're spoofing this. Um, but I love a good 80s montage. So the, this one uh, for me is way up there. And I, 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 you can tell people love it because if you try to buy it on iTunes, you can't. You have to buy the entire Karate Kid soundtrack to get that one song. So like right. they know. They know that they, they want you. They want you to spend $10 to get you're the best around. Oh, yeah. And there's also earlier a a great montage, a great sort of love montage at golf and stuff between uh, Daniel and Allie. You know, great song. I think the official title is Young Hearts. But uh, that's a kind of a very touching song. Very 80s. Makes you think of nostalgic falling in love for the first time. Yeah. Multiple great montages in this movie. I, I really do like that scene with the two of them because this is after they've reconciled. And they, they have this moment. He gets to drive the cool car. You know, you mm-hmm. can always track a movie in, like this in certain ways by the vehicles that people have. So they, Daniel finally gets to have 
a, a cool car instead of that beat up green station wagon they have to get running just to start every <laughs> yeah. time it's a it's a sweet sequence and yeah it really does remind me of like yeah that falling in love for the first time you know the awkwardness of going on your first date with some especially in high school when you have no fucking clue what you're doing right that feeling is so well translated here that you know daniel is learning all of this stuff you know about life not just karate and all these other things the, the balances of the mr miyagi is teaching them applies all also to these personal relationships he's building right and it just does uh, robert mark came and just did such a great job writing this movie it's like you have all of these connection points all of these connection points that all of us can realize we went through and can relate to and kind of plug ourselves into the story somewhere and it's almost like you watch this movie now there's the nostalgia you know, the 80s nostalgia component to it, but there's the personal history. It's like, oh, this makes me think of, yeah, the first time I fell in love. This makes me think of dealing with bullies. It's, you know, it, it's amazing how this movie does that. And I think that's what keeps the movie evergreen, too. That, you know, uh, you know, if I were to, my kids are a little young to watch it right now. Um, they're three and six. So my daughter's maybe on the cusp of, of being into this, but uh, I think that the pacing might not quite appeal to her yet. She's not, certainly not right. in the karate, but the those feelings that you know we all those very high school moments those that uh, awkwardness of adolescence and overcoming those difficulties you know that you're facing for the first time in life that this movie speaks to that stuff so well oh yeah yeah it really does and you know you mentioned rocky and that's a fantastic movie i love the rocky movies and i love the rocky series but i think the karate kid is infinitely more relatable as a story than obviously Rocky. Like you can relate to Rocky to a certain extent, but man, I, I think everyone has gone through something in the Karate Kid, you know, something like that. And it's just, yeah, I think even more universal, I think, than Rocky. Yeah, Rocky is, you know, again, a wonderful movie, not to take anything away from it, but it is a different creature at the end of the day. It's, it's similar, as much as these movies have shared DNA, uh, Rocky is much more about, you know, what it feels to have never want anything in your life, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have lost at everything for so long just to be given a glimmer of hope. That's what that movie's about. This is, yeah. like you said, this is very different. This is a much more about the trials of, of adolescence and, you know, overcoming maybe a more approachable demon than like, a lifetime of failure, <laughs> the way that movie is set up. But, yeah, I, we're kind of coming up to the end here. I did want to talk about uh, the crane kick because we haven't talked about it. Of course. Yes. The 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 secret mega weapon that Daniel <laughs> unleashes in this movie. And uh, I, I just I so I so vividly remember that you know everyone remembers that shot of Miyagi on the like tree stump or whatever that is. And he's just yes. doing that. He's practicing that thing and which has been parodied a million times. Um, I remember uh, the, the one that comes to mind is in Disney's Hercules. There's a, a training montage, mm -hmm. and they have all the all the characters are doing it, uh, right? In, in the montage, but I, I have no idea if it's any good as an actual martial arts move. Yeah, that's and I took martial arts briefly, and um, well, actually not briefly. When I was younger, I, for for a few years, I took martial arts, and yeah, that was just not like there's a kick that's like that, but you know, the idea of kind of bringing your arms like up like that. You know, now you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. It just and seems I think like you're everyone exposing yourself to getting hit in the face. Exactly, exactly. And I think so many martial artists uh, would say no. That's that's not something that you would actually use. But even even still, they love the movie. 
you know, and it's maybe a flight of fancy. It's not, it's not a real technique, but if it were a real technique, I don't know. There's something about how that looks and his stance and the fact that his leg was probably either strained or broken or whatever. It's just very heroic him doing that. And it's so iconic. And it is about balance. Right. It's, it's exact. It's about balance and it works. If you read Ralph Macchio's new book, Waxing On, he talks about how in that very first screening, everyone was doing it when they went out of the theater, like in the parking lot, everyone was doing the crane stance all ages. And so it's just, it's a visual metaphor, you know, and I think it works as a storytelling device, even if it's not an ideal martial arts technique. Yeah. I remember, uh, I did, I kind of have some warm feelings towards the remake with Jaden Smith. I didn't think it was a terrible movie. Um, but there's definitely like, well, how are we going to top that? And he have Jaden Smith do this like Dragon Ball Z flip uh, mm-hmm. that is just crazy looking. It just it, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, he's uh, he's a video game character doing this move. It's just sort of a very funny way of like trying to one up the crane kick. And that's something else I'll mention. If you compare the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid movies and the martial arts in the Karate Kid movies to martial arts shows and movies today, maybe like the remake and also the Cobra Kai series, that fighting that you see in the karate kid even though it's even a little elevated from what you would see in real life it seems it feels much more realistic like what would you see if you went to an actual under 18 karate tournament and all these movies now they want to make the kids into martial arts masters and pulling off all these crazy moves and and everything like that but i think part of the magic of the originals is that the fighting in it the conflicts but that tournament Everything was plausible. You could believe that those characters could do that. It didn't seem too crazy or flashy. It felt very realistic, like what you would see in a real tournament. Yeah. There's a place for, you know, kind of balletic martial arts movies. I mean, you know, you look at the most obvious would be Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you know, those types of things. Um, There's definitely a place for it because it is really cool and it's really interesting. But this movie is happening at ground level Uh, to the point where I remember when I was watching it this time, I was like, this is the most 1970s movie I've ever seen from the 1980s. <laughs> Just the way it's shot, the way the characters talk. Um, it's, you know, it has a much more 70s vibe than it does an 80s vibe. The only thing that's really 80s about it to me is the soundtrack. But mm-hmm. the actual, like, the if you took that away and substituted in songs from, say, 1976, it would still be of that era because it is very much like, it feels just like real. Everything in that movie feels very yeah. tactile. And, uh, you know, you can believe all of this is happening, that they're everything you're seeing is, you know, it can almost be a documentary the way they kind of right. shot it. And I was going to say that it's shot in a way that it's almost a heightened documentary. And, you know, John Alvinson, who's the director, was such a stickler for rehearsal over and over and over again so he was able to pull off these amazing oneers like that scene where right after you know we talked about the fight between daniel and the cobras and miyagi rescues him when he brings him in and he's making you know the compress you know to put on daniel's face that scene where they're talking if you look it's i didn't know this really until after i've seen the movie like 40 times that is one shot They are having this entire scene. There isn't a cut. They're just playing out the scene. And that's, I think, those kinds of moments are what give this such a realistic heightened documentary feel, like you're watching real people. 
And it's that. It's the way they relate to each other. I know that at some point, Avildsen put on, I think, his YouTube channel, all of these things that he – all of this rehearsal footage he shot just with mm-hmm. his own personal camera, the entire movie, of all this just re- rehearsal stuff so he could show it to the actors and go, this okay, so this is what we're doing as part of the, the process of making it. So you, there's actually – like you could almost make a cut of the movie that was all shot this way. Yes. Uh, but that, that level of attention to detail in the rehearsal process I think shows in the final product that everything, like you said, is so natural and flows so well. And the cinematic language tells that story so perfectly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I, I love the technique. I, I love how they approached it. It was, it was great. Imagine doing it in a different way. It just, it just wouldn't work. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, we're coming close to the end here. Um, Ken, any kind of final summations on, uh, on the karate kid? Well, you know, I think the karate kid it's one of those movies where growing up, I think I was the only one in my group of friends who actually watched The Karate Kid over and over and over again, you know, and it's one of those things where different properties like Star Wars or Star Trek or Indiana Jones had so many fans and kids watching it over and over again. Um, and I kind of felt like I was by myself watching Karate Kid over and over again. But with Cobra Kai coming out and now that we have the internet, um, it's really amazing how universal the love is for the karate kid and actually how many people watch that movie so many times. And I think we can see with the success of the Cobra Kai series. Now these themes of bullying, um, being true to yourself, mentorship, the true, the proper use of martial arts. These are very resonant themes across generations and They have fans both older and much younger. And that's what's exciting to me is that a whole new generation of kids are getting to know the Karate Kid and maybe even watching it for the first time and connecting with it. And and that's great. That's that's the mark of a great movie. And I'm just really glad that people are thinking about the Karate Kid again. I don't think I could add anything to that. I think that was an excellent way to sum things up. Ken, can you say a little bit about, you know, again, where where our audience can find you and, and your stuff? Absolutely. I'm on social media. All my social media channel uh, handles are Kenergy Cole. Uh, my YouTube channel is Ken Cole. That's my name. Uh, look for Ken Cole on YouTube. And uh, I have a lot of videos on Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. I'm a big fan of Terry Silver, who is a villain of Karate Kid Part 3, you know, which is a much maligned sequel. But I have a soft spot for Karate Kid 3. And but I'm also interested in a lot of different things. Watch Cobra Cole. If you like Cobra Kai, that's my uh, original short film. That's uh, with uh, David Shatra, who plays Tom Cole on Cobra Kai. It's kind of a fun twist on the characters in Cobra Kai. And uh, of course my storm chasing stuff. If you enjoy storm chasing tornado chasers, um, you can see some of my stuff here and some of my stuff on Reed Timmer's YouTube channel as well. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for doing this. Uh, let me just do some quick admin here at the end. Uh, if you like this show, of course, go to all the places you find podcasts and do the liking, rating, and subscribing stuff because you've heard a podcast before. You know what to do. Uh, if you want to communicate with us, uh, our Twitter handle is at NostalgiumPod uh, for as long as Twitter is a thing uh, until it burns to the ground. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, we're also on Instagram, so that's our, that's our uh, port in the storm for now uh, in case that happens. But uh, also, I uh, just want to plug uh, next week's episode, which, uh, if, assuming everything falls into place, will be about the Golden Girls, another gang of uh, martial arts masters uh, in their own right. So <laughs> thank you again, Ken. I, I really can't thank you. It was so nice of you to drop in on this. And uh, until next time, uh, that's one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana. <laughs>